The following message is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. You can visit us online at orchardbible.org. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, and then verses 17 through 25 for our scripture reading this morning. This is the word of God. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? Since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let's pray. Father, my prayer this morning is that your son would be glorified through the preaching of your word for the good of your church, for their edification, but Lord, for the salvation of any lost that are here or that will listen to this. That they might see the power and the wisdom of God in the cross. We're so thankful for this good word this morning. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you're just joining us this morning, this is really kind of week two, uh, sort of week three of our sermon series in 1 Corinthians. We started two weeks ago. That's actually the fourth week, sorry. Um, last week we took a, a mini break, uh, had a baptism sermon. This week we'll, we're continuing. And I uh, wanted to tell you guys, over Christmas and New Year's, I was in Kansas. Linda's family lives in Kansas, and you know how it is over the holidays. A little bit extra on the plate, maybe, when you, when you sit down for a meal because everybody makes their finest stuff and all the sugary baked goods. And to counter-effect all of that, I happened to find myself at Planet Fitness in Hutchinson, Kansas. Well, I was on a stair climber for a long time, and uh, the row of TVs ahead of me, as most fitness centers have, and one of the news stories that was, well, really a headline, it wasn't a story, this, the headline was, most scandalous news stories of 2019. And here were some of the headlines. A five-year-old defeats 36-year-old in Connect Four. Actually, sorry, that was at my house last night. Um, <laughs> 
seriously. The investigation into the Russian election meddling ended. The impeachment began. Mass shootings near and far. Marriages, divorces of famous celebrities. A high-profile drug lord imprisoned. A scandal surrounding a famous hedge fund manager's imprisonment and then death. You don't have to be alive real long to know that many of these headlines will repeat themselves with different names, different places and times. But there's one story that the Apostle Paul is trying to draw the Corinthians' heart back to. It's the most scandalous story that will ever be told. It's the story of the gospel. A good news announcement that God sent his own son so that his rebellious image bearers could be restored to their maker. Though it certainly is a story that the Corinthians were struggling with. Now remember at the outset of this book that Paul commended the Corinthians for the work of God in their lives in verses 1 through 9 of chapter 1. But the Corinthians had a real problem. They had a boasting problem. Paul got right to business by rebuking divisions among them in verses 10 through 17. Consider this for a minute. In the ESV, the word boast is used 78 times in the whole Bible. Boast appears 48 times in the New Testament. 42 of those are Paul. He's the author that uses it. 31 times the word boast appears in Paul's letters to the Corinthians. That's more than the entire New Testament. The word appears twice in our text for today. In chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, it says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Paul quotes Jeremiah in verse 31. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Later in 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds the Corinthians again, in chapter 3, let no one boast in man. And in chapter 5, Paul rebukes the Corinthians for boasting of all things, in an incestuous relationship in the church. They were were boasting about it. And don't forget those verses 10 through 14, Paul's rebuking the Corinthians for boasting in their teacher and the factions that were forming because of that. And you can begin to see the scandal that the gospel is, especially to those who boast in their own wisdom and in their own strength. This is offensive. You see, the Corinthians for sure are boasters. And Paul calls them to be unified around the folly of Christ crucified, which is the power and the wisdom of God. And through Paul's encouragement to the Corinthians to boast in the cross, we see how to practice the boast of Christ crucified, both to ourselves and to others. First, Paul asserts the centrality 
of the object of their boasting. Paul calls the Corinthians to boast in Christ, to be unified around the good news that God sent his son to be crucified on a cross for their redemption. Verse 17, Paul says that he was sent to preach the gospel. Now the content of the gospel or the good news, as this word means, is found in further detail throughout our passage today. In verse 18, Paul uses the phrase, the word of the cross. And in verse 23, Paul further presses this and articulates what the word of the cross is when he says, we preach Christ crucified. He doesn't stop there. In verse 30, Paul says, because of him, and he's speaking of God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus. The emphasis is not on the Corinthians' choice. It's not on our choice today, but it's on God's universe-altering action. Because of him who sent his son to die on the cross, you're in Christ Jesus. Sinners can be reconciled to God. So Paul says in verse 31, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so for those who are in Christ, the object of our boasting is none other than Jesus Christ crucified. We boast in the Father's message that he sent his Son to be crucified. This is the message of the cross. This is the Father's good plan, predestined from before time to reveal his Son, Jesus, as Savior to the world. The Corinthians were not boasting in this. Rather, they were boasting in the eloquence and the identity of their teachers. It wasn't only that. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, Paul writes, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? They were boasting in what they had, as if they didn't receive it. They were putting all the emphasis on their action, on what they had achieved, on their wisdom, on their strength. Later in 1 Corinthians, we'll get to a larger section on spiritual gifts. And part of Paul's rebuke and tone there is because they're boasting in the gifts and in their pursuit of the gifts, not in what the gifts were meant to reveal, which is Jesus. In verse 10, when Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be, you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He's telling them to be united around Christ, the right object of their boasting. This begs the question for all of us this morning. What are you boasting I don't just mean what do you walk around bragging about. That's what we think about when we hear the word boast. Then certainly that is one way we boast. We could walk around talking about Christ. But it's also helpful, helpful for us to understand what we boast in when we ask ourselves some of these questions. What do you rally around when you're insecure? You see, we run to the object of our boast when we're nervous or scared or insecure. 
Are you running to Christ? Are you running to something else? What do you boast in when you're joyful? When you're sad? What do you boast in when you're successful and things go well? Is it Christ? Do you boast in the Father's plan to send his Son to redeem you? Or do you boast in your gifts, talents, ability, wisdom? For those in Christ, we have set boasting in these things aside. And now we boast, first and foremost, chiefly and with the most fervor that we offer in Christ. This is what we're called to as followers of Jesus. We don't boast in our talent, our choice, our wisdom, or strength. We boast only in Jesus. Verse 18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is either folly or power. It's folly to those who are perishing, and it's the power of, uh, power of God to those who are being saved. So let's look first at the folly of the boast. The Corinthians struggled to be unified around the message of the cross because it was foolishness from a worldly perspective. See, boasting in the cross would be like boasting in the electric chair or the guillotine. Now, what if I came to church next week and I had a fresh new tattoo of an electric chair or a necklace of a guillotine? Maybe I showed up with a T-shirt screen printed with a, a, somebody laying on the lethal injection table. It would be shocking, right? This made no sense to the Corinthians. One commentator points out that Paul illustrates the folly of the cross in verse 18 by using Scripture. Excuse me, using scripture in verse 19, using experience in verse 20, and history in verse 21. In verse 19, Paul uses scripture in a quotation from Isaiah 29. It says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. In verse 16 of Isaiah 29, just right after this, says this, You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? That the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me. Or the thing formed say of him who formed that he has no understanding. The cross is folly to those who are perishing because it's upside down to them. It's folly because it makes no sense from a worldly perspective. Things just aren't oriented rightly. Boasting in an instrument of death upends the worldly way of looking at things. And isn't this kind of always an accurate diagnosis of the problem that plagues humanity? Our natural inclination is to see things wrongly. We just don't see them right. And in every epoch of human history, Dallas Willard, a philosopher, theologian, he actually taught at USC for a number of years. In the opening of his book titled The Divine Conspiracy, tells a story about a plane crash. 
He says the pilot was practicing high-speed maneuvers in a jet fighter. She turned for what she thought was a steep ascent and flew straight into the ground. She was unaware that she had been flying upside down. Willard continues, this is a parable of human existence in our times. Not exactly that everyone is crashing, but, they're, but that we're flying with no clue whether we're right side up or upside down. The cross as folly to those who are perishing shows us that living life according to worldly wisdom leads to an incorrect orientation. It leads us to see the cross as folly when really it's the power and wisdom of God. Paul illustrates the cross as folly using experience when he continues in verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? He shares these rhetorical questions about the worldly wise that the Corinthians use as the standard for what's good and right. Paul's asking in these questions, have they been able to bring you to God? Consider for a moment our present day, all of the advances that humans have made. Human ingenuity and creativity have led to so much Amazing stuff. Advances in technology, medicine, engineering, energy production. We could go on and on. But these things, without the cross, they're just towers of Babel. They're humans' attempt to get to God or to be a God for themselves. And as a means to that end, they'll be found wanting. I'm not arguing that these things are bad. On the contrary, they're incredible. But apart from God and the cross of Jesus, where he revealed his power and wisdom, they're empty pursuits to make a name for ourselves. Craig Blomberg made a really helpful distinction when he said this, the folly of the cross is not anti-intellectual but it is against godless intellectualism. Paul follows his rhetorical questions by illustrating again how history has shown the world in its own wisdom cannot know God. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And down in verses 27 through 29. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It was God's wisdom and sovereign plan to use the folly of the cross to reveal his power. God chose the cross to reveal his power because it makes foolish the world's wisdom. The cross shows the impotence of the world's wisdom and the world's strength. This is the foolishness of the boast, an instrument of death 
used to reveal God's power. To those who are perishing, this will remain folly. And now on to the power of the boast. Precisely because this message of Christ crucified was foolish in the eyes of the world, it reveals God's power to save through it. The church in Corinth was a mix of Jews and Gentiles. Paul communicates in a way that speaks really powerfully to both of these groups. Verses 22 to 24, Paul writes, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. First, Paul says, the Jews demand signs. Think back to our last sermon series in John for a minute. Remember how often the Jews asked for a sign from Jesus? Remember in John 2, after Jesus had cleansed the temple, the Jews said, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And again in John 6, verses 29 and 30, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. And so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? To the Jew, Paul says that the folly of the cross is a stumbling block. They trip over the cross because they're looking for a sign of his power and his prestige. Not one of his humility and of his death. They wanted to be empowered. They didn't want to be saved. They probably didn't know they needed to be saved. They were flying upside down, and they didn't know it. The cross reveals God's power because it shows, as verse 25 says, the weakness of God is stronger than men. God would save through a cross. He would save even through death. Notice that Paul says the word of the cross is folly or power in verse 18. They're not like each other, right? You'd think that he would have said folly or wisdom. And certainly he does later. He says that it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. But right off the bat, he says folly and power. In verse 22, Paul said that the Greeks seek wisdom. The Corinthians didn't need to think that the gospel was just another wise philosophical system that was better than the rest. The Corinthians needed to know that the cross is the power of God. The cross is the wisdom of God. It's not a message about God's power. It isn't good news about God's power. It is God's power. The cross is where the power of God is revealed in its fullness. He didn't argue here that God's power was best revealed in an earthquake or a big thunderstorm or a tornado. The power of God isn't primarily revealed in miraculous signs. The cross is the epicenter of God's power. God's son executed on the cross Absorbing God's wrath against sin that he didn't commit. This is where God chose what is weak to shame the wise. And what is foolish to shame the strong. 
Paul wants that to be crystal clear to the Corinthians. And he wants it to be clear to us this morning. The power of God is revealed in the cross. And so they were to boast in the cross. Not some wise philosophical system. Not the fanciful oration of their teacher. Sometimes our hearts are like the Jews, aren't they? We want to see a sign before we believe. Just show me your power and I'll believe. Deliver me from this affliction and, and then, then I'll know that you're there. Then I'll see your power. Oh, how we need to see the power of God in the cross of Christ. He's delivered you from the domain of darkness and he's transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins because of the cross. If this is your temptation this morning to doubt his power because of your affliction, or maybe it's someone else's affliction, maybe it's just suffering in general, look no further than his own suffering on the cross. This is where he's reconciled sinners to himself. And though he tarries, he will deliver you eternally from your affliction. Though now we struggle. Or maybe you're like the Greeks and the Gentiles. You want what is popular and exalted by the world. This is what draws you and tempts you to abandon the cross. Don't forsake the cross. It's the only thing that has power to save. All other things that offer salvation will only lead to death. It is the message of the cross that reveals God's power to save and transform sinners into redeemed saints. This is the power of the boast. This brings us to the wisdom of the boast. Because the foolishness of the message of the cross is what reveals God's power, it shows his great wisdom. In verse 22 again, Paul says that the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. Ancient Greece was really the epicenter of philosophy, rhetoric, philosoph, literally the one who loves wisdom. Rhetorical argument and dialogue was highly exalted in Greek culture. To be a skilled rhetoric was, was really the cream of the crop in Greece. Now, today, strong contrast, rhetoric is mostly seen on like Fox News and CNN and politics. So we don't really, we don't really like it. Most people don't. It's distasteful. It's sort of a, a, a shock jock tactic to, to get more viewers. But to Greeks, a wise speech or a cunning oration was the pinnacle of human wisdom and to be sought after and applauded. The Greeks were flying upside down. They sought freedom from spiritual bondage through their lofty philosophy and wise rhetoric. In the book of Romans, Paul has wrote about the extent to what human wisdom can get you apart from God. In Romans 1, 19 through 23. Paul writes, For what can be known about God is 
plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. To humans bear the responsibility for their failure to obey God. Claiming to be wise, Paul says, they became fools and they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They don't know God because they walked away from him. And they chose their own way and they became slaves in that to disobedience. With foolish and darkened hearts, we lack the ability to make things right for ourselves. No human wisdom can save a person from their sin. The wisdom of the boast in Christ crucified doesn't make sense until we see the slavery. If there is understanding of sin and rebelling against God, one can understand that they need to come back to God. They'll see that they, someone needs to make a way because they can't. And when they see the impossibility of coming back to God on their own strength and wisdom, we see God's wisdom in the cross. He made a way for sinners to be restored to him so that no man could boast. Think of this as kind of a Proverbs 1 type of wisdom. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is wisdom because it means that a person understands his need to be made right. That God is holy and just and righteous and we cannot please him. When there's an appropriate fear of God, redemption Redemption is made possible. When a sinner sees the cross in this light, it quickly becomes the power and the wisdom of God to save. If there's no fear of God, there's really no need for a savior, is there? And instead of receiving wisdom and instruction, Proverbs tells us that it's despised and spurned. The cross, this emblem of death, was folly to the wise rhetoric or debater because their means of saving themselves was through their own wisdom. Paul is pointing the Corinthians to the wisdom of boasting in the cross. Now, because we see the object, folly, power, and wisdom of the boast in the cross, we must consider how to practice and proclaim the boast. Through Paul's encouragement to the Corinthians to boast in the cross, we see how to practice boasting in Christ crucified, both to ourselves and to others. We do this primarily by remembering the cross, by reorienting ourselves around the cross, and by revealing the cross. Starting in 1 verse 30, going through 2 verse 5. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, 
righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And when I came to you, brothers, uh, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul reminds the Corinthians that it's because of God that they're in Christ. And in this state of being in Christ, their righteousness and sanctification and redemption are not question marks. They're a certainty. It's Christ's continued work in them That's the means of their ongoing growth. And so the Corinthians were to boast in the cross as they worked hard to grow and mature. Boasting in the cross by remembering its power to save wasn't just a a new ritual or a new tradition for them to start. It's through boasting in the cross that God's ongoing work would be completed in them. This is the appeal that Paul's trying to make to them. Just as the Corinthians didn't graduate past this seemingly fundamental elementary truth, neither do we. We need to remember the cross continually, daily, weekly, monthly, annually. There isn't some kind of advanced wisdom that we all of a sudden move on to. And we're past that. Christ crucified remains the means of our growth and our sanctification. Now, in one sense, we're perfectly righteous the moment of our salvation. We're made so by Christ's sacrifice. In another sense, we'll be being perfected until Christ returns or until we're joined with him in our death. Now, to encourage their remembering, Paul reminds the Corinthians to remember their calling. Verse 26, Paul says, Consider your calling, that not many of you were wise or powerful or of noble birth. Remember that it was God who called you. It was God who saved you through faith. You cannot boast in yourself. He did the calling and the saving through Christ's work on the cross. We need to remember the state of our heart prior to being in Christ. Remember the path that you were on that was headed for destruction and eternal damnation. It's healthy to stop and remember. Don't let life's rhythms and busyness stop you from stopping and remembering what you have received. Stopping and remembering is really why we gather weekly. We stop to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we're doing right now. To God's word, to the breaking of bread, Lord's Supper, and fellowship together. Because we need to remember. And it's good for us to remind each other of this. I can think of so many times in my life 
when it's been a brother or a sister in Christ in a moment of my discouragement that has reminded me that the cross is still at work in me. That I haven't uh, moved past it. I'm not who I once was, and that displays God's power. If you're in Christ, you're really a walking testimony of his power to save. Of his ongoing work in the body of Christ through the cross. So Christian, if you're discouraged and down and you're tempted to stay away from our gathering for one reason or another, come fellowship with the saints and hear and see us boast of the power of God to save through his cross. We practice and proclaim the cross to ourselves and others as we reorient ourselves around the cross. The plane was once upside down. We were in danger of crashing. In Christ, we now have God's power and wisdom to orient our lives around the cross. We have a compass to work off of now that we didn't have before. The starting point is the cross. All other wisdom, all other things are calibrated by the cross. Now, reorienting around the cross changes the way that we approach all of our life. We approach life not by pursuing things that will save us, but by seeing things as a way to bring glory and praise and honor to God. We boast in Christ as we see God's grace to us through so many of life's natural pleasures and resources. Through sunsets and oceans and mountains, friends and family and vocation. His grace revealed through his son Jesus is our boast. And this reorients everything in our life. Lastly, we practice and proclaim the boast when we, re- when we reveal the cross. The way that we reveal the cross and its beauty, I think, needs some reorientation as well. I've been compelled on this point by Elliot Clark. He's a missionary, and he teaches church planners overseas. Clark says, stop sharing the gospel. Shocking. Now, Clark Clark points out that this terminology of sharing is primarily an American sort of lingo as it relates to evangelism. He says, on one level, the terminology is positive, conveying the gracious act of giving others a treasure that we possess. However, if by sharing we imply a kind of charity, where we only give the gospel to willing recipients, then our Christian vernacular has become a problem. Now think about this for a second. Usually, not always, but usually when we ask our child to share a toy, it's because their brother or sister or friend wants it, right? How often has that been the case in your life, that someone comes up to you and says, hey, I really want you to tell me about Jesus? Praise the Lord, because maybe it has been for some. Clark takes this a step further with what I think is a really crisp and discerning analogy. Part of it's because I like baseball. 
What if a pitching coach described to pitchers to just toss the ball up there? Not throw strikes. Not work the corners. Not pound it inside. Just, just, just toss it up there. Would the pitchers have an accurate understanding of what their responsibility was? No, they wouldn't. You don't have to watch a good pitcher for very long to know that just they're not just tossing it up there. There's speed, spin rate, arm angle. It's a very intentional process. We need to be intentional and we need to be thoughtful when we boast about the cross. When Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, he isn't arguing against the thoughtful process or dialogue. What he is saying is, I'm not going to spend more time trying to convince you with a cunning argument than I am proclaiming the cross. If we spend more time worrying about our approach or our argument or how intentional we're going to be, and we don't even get to the cross, we're missing the point. I think I certainly don't think it's wrong to, to help people overcome doubts or fears about following the Lord. We should seek to do that. We know from Paul's example, here and elsewhere, that, that he was very intentional. He sought to know the people that he was seeking to boast in the cross to so that he could help them understand it. But if we spend so much time trying to prioritize those things, that we don't boast in the cross. Again, we're treating the cross like it doesn't have the power. I do. It's God who calls, remember. We're called to be faithful. To be faithful in our boasting about the cross. Now the emphasis is definitely got to be on the cross. Not on our ability to convince someone. Because we know the cross remains folly to those who are perishing. And I can't make them believe. I can't stir life inside of them to see their need for a Savior. But we reveal the cross by proclaiming the truth about it. That Christ was crucified for sin. To reconcile sinners to God. And I think it's a common problem to all of humanity. That we have a fear of man. We fear man instead of fearing God. Like the Corinthians, we want to be recognized as wise or smart or winsome. Boasting in a, a method of death that's gruesome, it's not, it's not in vogue today. So we're usually a little nervous about talking about it and boasting in it. Paul was nervous about it. I am. Lest you think I've got this dialed in because I'm preaching about it or because I'm the local mission pastor... It's not the case. Our approach should be simple. Listen again to Paul's in this paraphrase from the message. You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you uh, to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is. And then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. I was unsure of how to go about this and felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death. If you, if you want the truth of it, 
And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But the message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it, which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power, not to some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anyone else. In the presence of weakness and fear and trembling, have courage and boast only in the cross. Boast in your Savior, whose name is Jesus. Would you guys please stand? I'm going to close with a psalm. It's a great example of boasting. This is Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fathers, we've considered your word this morning. Equip us now by your Holy Spirit's power to boast in the cross to ourselves, to each other, and to the lost, Lord. Lead us and guide us for your glory. Amen.